Hello, friends, and welcome to the most glorious of events, the Movie Mavericks Podcast. This outstanding program is hosted by two fine gentlemen, Jason and Trevor. Now make it so. MovieMavericks.com Hey now, everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Movie Mavericks Podcast. I'm Trevor Anderson, sending you over Jason Rugard. He'll tell you what we're talking about. On tonight's episode, we are going to take a look back at the 1991 action film starring the boss himself, Brian Bosworth, in Stone Cold. I was a big fan of this movie as a kid. This was like a VHS uh, video store rental, like staple. I mean, this was it. Every video store on the earth had a copy of this movie, probably two copies, right? Um, A movie that didn't do very well at the box office, but yet most people have seen in our, our age range, Yeah, this right? is definitely, uh, I mean, this is just a straight action movie, right? Undercover cop, biker gang. Pretty uh, basic thing that you, that well, would do well as a VHS rental. I kind of always felt like this was a cousin, if you will, to Roadhouse. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Like Something is exactly movie. in that same vein, yeah. Yeah, it, it knows it's awful. It knows it's over the top. Um, I think it's trying in some spots and it, it didn't really find success at the time, but over the years became like a, a TNT, TBS guys, movies mm-hmm. for guys who like movie type. Yeah. Remember that whole thing? Yes. Got movies for guys who like movies, um, <laughs> I like which that. you can yeah. never get away with nowadays, but that was like in the nineties, they would have that after mm-hmm. Braves games on TBS. Um, but this definitely falls into that good, bad movie category. I would definitely say. Yeah, definitely. I, I love movies like this, especially action movies are really good uh, when they're just I mean, this thing stripped down to, to just, you know, bare nuts, basically. Right. It, um, it really there's there's nothing insane. In it. There's no mind bending twist. It's just man versus man. Right. Real it's simple. Machismo shit going on in this movie, too. Oh, yeah. And. This is a, a great movie in the subgenre of the cop going undercover of the biker gang. What was the Charlie Sheen movie where he did this? Do you recall that? Do you ever see that movie, Beyond the Law or something like that? Uh, I think it was Beyond the Law, where he had he, he like grew a beard and that was going to be yeah. Charlie Sheen's acting stretch of the moment was to grow a beard to go undercover. Much? Well, uh, I mean, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't recognize him. I would definitely say that Brian Bosworth is more believable as a biker than Charlie Sheen. Uh, well, I guess uh, the interesting thing about this movie, let's talk about that for a second. You say he's more, more but in this movie, he, this guy, Brian Bosworth plays the man with the whitest hat, right? He is such a good guy in this damn movie. Like, and, and it's really the biker gang thing. It's definitely, um, you know, white hat, Brian Bosworth, you know, black hat, Lance Henriksen, or even William Forsyth, I guess. But, um, He's. Uh, I don't understand how the bikers thought this guy was a bad guy. He's so fucking good. Like he's yeah, the he's, the best. He's the goodest guy in the world. Like he's basically Superman. And he, he's he's uh, very self righteous yes. throughout the film as well. Yeah, which comes off <laughs> as to their undercover face cop. too. Yeah. yeah, it's like my and god, like, what the hell's going on here? Like this guy is too good. Uh, I would agree with you on that. I do think that physically Bosworth would be. Uh, a better biker, but I think that Charlie Sheen's fucking crazed mentality and attitude would probably fit in best. Yeah, with every the time the bikers did something, and like Lance Henriksen's trying to be, you know, an asshole or something, this guy would be like, hmm, well, that's not very nice. You know, you can't, you shouldn't do that. That's not good. 
It's like, is it, what? <laughs> no, yeah. you're supposed to be a bad guy. Well, let's, let's talk about this movie and how you came to it. Did you see this in the theater or did you rent this on videotape? No, I saw this, uh, yeah, home video. Home video. Me, I saw this on HBO when I was home from seventh grade hmm. for a couple of weeks with Poison Oak. This was one of those late night movies and uh, I watched this and Predator 2 and I had a videotape that had both those Ooh. things on it and it was like a, pre- a prized videotape yeah, that I that, had that's for a years. Good lineup. You know? <laughs> it, it, actually, to, to complete it, it had Backdraft <laughs> as the third movie. Ooh. You know, remember if you taped it at that one speed, you could fit like six hours sure. on there and shit quality? Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't a bad thing there. Um, so I saw this on HBO as a kid. Didn't get a chance to see it in the theater and it was such a brief run in the theaters. Nobody really saw this in the theater. This is a movie that gained its notoriety after the fact. And had mm-hmm. it maybe got that attention, I think this could have been a sequel or a series. Because I think that Bosworth had great screen presence. And that's the reason he was then cast, uh, let down the line in B movies. He kind of, to me, reminds me a little bit of a Roddy Rowdy Piper uh, vibe to him, you know? Where he's almost commenting sure. on it. He's above what's going on on screen and kind of um, commenting on it. And it, it. I guess Arnold did that too in a lot of I ways. Mean, Roddy, Roddy Piper is probably the best actor in the bunch you just named. Uh, <laughs> he really is. I, that guy could actually act. That was the crazy thing about it. He'd be in some tor- terrible, horrible shit movie. And he'd be like, fuck, this guy's actually acting. <laughs> Remember in Honor? We watched that yes. one shitty uh, B movie called Honor. It's a horrible Honor. movie, but he's really he, good in it. He brings, yeah, some class to it. Uh, I, I do. You know, I always get confused because Bosworth is not a wrestling personality. He seems in this movie He's like so he came big. from the WWF. Yeah, world, right? he does. I know. Put some tassels on him somewhere, and and I mean, he wears the damn you know bikini hammock in this. So you you, you just <laughs> right. I mean, the guy's like a bodybuilder type guy. He doesn't look like a, a sports, you know, football type guy. No, and he, of course he came from the University of Nebraska, and he was a. A big, uh, I'm sorry, Oklahoma. Shit, my bad. He was a Sooner, and um, he is a big corn-fed fella, and he mm-hmm. is a great screen presence. Uh, I think that he would have done better on the screen had he not been such a loathed figure in the sporting world at the time, and such a controversial figure. Mm-hmm. But like Dennis Rodman, he was getting his chance to make it to the big screen, and I think he does a better job than Rodman or a lot of other athletes that have tried to transition to the big screen. You got to give him some credit that he does have some presence, right, on, on camera? Yeah, well, I think it helps that he uh, is playing the good guy because he does come off as the good guy. Like, you feel like, oh, he'll he'll protect people. That's the way he kind of comes off in this movie, and it works, I thought. Yeah, agreed, agreed. He does have a very uh, affable kind of personality on camera, and it makes you want to like him. He's very likable. Yeah, and I think going up against, I mean, Lance Henriksen is so good in this movie. He really uh, is. It's so f- it's an incredible performance as just this out of his mind, crazy, uh, you know, biker leader guy. I, I, but it is, I don't know. It, it doesn't even look like Lance Henriksen because he's so young. I'm so used to Lance Henriksen being old. And not only that, he's got some muscle on him. Yeah. Um, he, he's got extra long hair, which obviously has to be some sort of uh, weave-ins or, or, or wig of some sort. But he looks good in the role. I mean, he looks like this actually suits him. He he falls into the. I mean, I've always said that Lance Hendrickson is the B-movie world's Christopher Walken, even though Christopher Walken is different <laughs> than the B-movie. Yeah. But, but you know what I mean? Like, he's got that kind mm-hmm. of unpredictable screen presence where you just you want to look at him. And he's been in so yeah, much shit. Gotta... And basically, if you have 200 grand, you can get him in your movie. Right now, he's got a but, weird looking face. He's got crazy eyes when he needs them, a distinct sounding voice. Mm-hmm. 
And you just know when he's on screen, you want to keep your eyes on that guy. Well, you just you don't always trust him, which James Cameron used to great effect in Aliens, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. This is, I think, maybe his second best role that I can think of that he was in. Uh, he always pops up as the heavy in action movies, and this one I think he's particularly good in. Uh, the movie starts like Cobra, right? Where it's a, an action scene yeah. in a grocery store. Uh-huh. But unlike Cobra, where Stallone takes out the bad guys one by one here, he eventually brings down the lead bad guy in this by having him slip on salad dressing. It's got to be the the only action sequence in history where the guy gets brought down by salad dressing on the floor. Yeah, this has Uh, this has what to me appears to be like a tacked on opening, doesn't it? Like this just doesn't seem like it fits that well with the rest of the movie. It's a teaser. I felt like this was a television episode, and this was kind of mm-hmm. like the opening teaser to bring you in because he's got the snappy line about, you know, you have anything to say for yourself? And yeah. he says, yeah, clean up on aisle six. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's like, to it's me, so like, cheesy. We're, we're starting with the tropes right out the gate, and I love it. Like, we're not wasting any time. And how many movies in the 90s, action films, where pe- people get accosted in grocery stores and liquor stores. Mm-hmm. I think every Steven Seagal movie, he fucked somebody up in a liquor store somewhere. And yeah. I mean, these things were always happening. Well, that's and as where a the kid, bad guys go, right? I mean, bad guys have to go to the convenience store because they're going to rob it. But they also, right. they don't eat good food. We know this. They're going to be eating, you know, ding dongs and donuts and things, right? Things that are bad for you. That's where bad well, guys do alcohol. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just like in RoboCop. I mean, exactly. same, same idea. Yeah. And I got to ask you a question here. Do you think that Bosworth sports the worst haircut in movie history? Because I can't decide here. Sometimes I'm like, what the I fuck thought, is going on there? And what, yes. what, I kind of like it other times. Yeah, I can't tell if he's, you know, in some shots it's like Fabio, you know, right? He's riding in on the hog and you're like, damn, like that's a man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but other times you see him and you're like, Jesus Christ, like someone, did you cut that yourself? Like, fuck, you just took some scissors to that? Jeez. <laughs> I, I, just, I kept looking at it and I thought like, well, that's well quaffed right there. The other times yeah. I'm like, that looks like a peacock of some sort or a wild bird on your fucking head. And other times you're like, yeah, that looks like the baddest man that's ever walked the yeah. face of the earth. I and, agree. And to give his character, you know, that, that edge, they have to give him a unique pet. You know, in Miami Vice, they gave Don Johnson a pet uh-huh. alligator. So that's in this, a, they gave mm-hmm. him a, a pet. What, what is that? Like, is it, it's not an iguana. Is it a, a fucking, it's like a what monitor. Is that? Is it? It's, it's it's something that would freak me out. It looks like a like a kimono dragon of some sort. Yeah, it is and, a monitor. It uh, don't you love though that it also has the trope in this movie of him feeding the reptile the protein shake full of shit, where he's throwing a Snickers <laughs> bar and orange uh-huh. juice and and all this shit like just like an end of days and this. It's like the ripped guy is always eating the worst shit. You know that's why I always love in these movies. The guy with the six packs drinking beer for breakfast. Get out of here. Doesn't work like that. So what did you, you think of William Forsythe in this? I think, first of all, that William Forsythe is highly underrated. He's another oh, guy you can't, yeah. take your, can't take your eyes off. I mean, 1991 was a great year for Forsythe. He had this movie. He had Out for Justice. He was coming off of Dick Tracy, you know, where he played Flat Top there. And he also would go on to play the role of Al Capone in the Untouchables TV show that came out in, I think, 92 Which or really 93. Which he's really good in that. And that's actually really, really good in that. That's a surprisingly underrated show. decent uh, show, yeah. And I was a big fan of that show because I like mobsters and young guns, kind of like the the young man variation on that. So it got mm-hmm. me into it. And that he was the reason I watched that show because that, that, I'm glad you know that show because I, not many people watched. It. I think it was like a UPN or like WB back in the day before it was rebranded or whatever it was. But mm-hmm. 
I, I'm a big fan of William Forsythe. I think that he's underrated. And in this movie, according to him and another podcast I heard, he and Hendrickson, he says, made up all their lines. Now, that's a little hard to believe, but I do think that they hmm. ad-libbed and worked some things out and figured some things out. I can out. believe that for Forsythe's character because he kind of... Uh he just basically runs around act mad you know say something stupid here do that but for a lot of Henriks and stuff it has to be has to be scripted because that shit is plot based and he moves it forward constantly and if they, if yeah. they did ad lib that much then they cut it too down to everything this like you said this movie well, has there no there may be fat. moments where they are when he first meets uh, the um, you know the John Stone character, right in the fucking van and shit. Great scene. I can actually believe that that a lot of that would have been ad libbed. Yeah, I could see that too. What I can't see is when Hendrickson's talking to Bosworth uh, in the pool hall, and you know, in that that whole sequence about don't mess with out me. On him and shit. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That has the, to be scripted. Yeah. Yeah, all that has to be. And plus, Bosworth isn't uh, adept enough at acting to be on his toes like that. He's mm-hmm. going to want to know what's being said and things like that. I do think that he, Forsyth and Hendrickson have such great chemistry in this movie. I almost wish they had a movie just based on those two guys. I'm so much more interested in what they got going on that every time the, the film goes off with, with Stone, like when he's with the gal and they do that little uh, sequence where they have to go together to collect something, I'm kind of mm-hmm. more interested in what's going on back at the, the biker gang. But there is something that kind of bothers me about this movie. And I don't want to get on a high horse because this is a stupid action movie from the 90s. But what they glaze over here, there's a shot one time of a Nazi flag, but they don't really talk about the white supremacy kind of aspect Uh of this gang, which is clearly part of their motif if you look at who they're sending in, what the color of the gang is or any of that. Did you notice that at all? Did you feel that that was kind of this big elephant in the room at all at times? It it is a little bit, um, especially when they go and uh, once you learn their their actual plan is to basically take over the the town the state, right you know yeah. the state yeah um and it does feel that way and you do see more of the flags when the bikers come in and stuff and it does feel a little bit more of that um i don't know civil war you know revolution type, like yeah like the south out of their minds like they're trying to, yeah they're trying to like yeah. take over in that way and that is missing from this because of the drug aspect of the whole thing you know they they, they kind of play it up Almost in a way, I guess that it would be a twist in some way. But they kind of do push that to the side and try to make you focus on the drugs. Where I think that they, if and I think they also try to get away from it by making the the guy, the the priest, in the get, beginning to get killed. He wasn't necessarily, uh-huh. um, he was kind of non-dominational. They, they did kind of like the no one is of color that he kills and things like that. So they're, they're the bad guys. So they're trying to keep it. And an even playing field to let you know, hey, this is just a stupid fucking action movie. Don't read too much into it. And here we are reading What do you think about it. the uh, the Sam McMurray part of this movie as uh, as Lance, as the, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's not really a sidekick. You know, he's not even really his. Uh, this is the kid that gets uh, blown away. You're talking about by the Italian mobsters in, in Hurdle Through the Glass. Are you talking about? That's no, this is the cop. The other cop. Oh, I love the other cop. The, uh, first of all, he's the the comedy, uh, you know, yes, no, relief here that comes in was here. Was he not in? Um, I'm gonna have to look this up. Sam McMurray is he not in? Also, what was he the the sidekick in like this? Was it Sledgehammer? Do you um, call that show? I don't Shit. know that I remember. I mean, what is he his was, signature role? Uh depends. I mean, he was on. Um, uh, Chud, he was in. Yeah, he was in Chud. Raising he, Arizona. And he was in Raising Arizona. The he was Wizard. In, uh, he was in L.A. Story, actually. I do remember that. Yes. I've seen that movie many times. But he was on that TV show uh, with uh, 
you know, Doug Heffernan, um, what the hell is that called? King of Queens. Yes. He wasn't okay, you're right. Well, he was been in his, been, um, I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff. He's, he's a, a been bit in a shitload of things. And, and he's, a, he's kind of a bit character in this too, but he adds the, uh, uh, the comic relief to this, like he shows up at the at the at John Stone's house, and that's the whole uh, banana hammock scene, right? Right. Uh, yeah. Where he comes out and he's just like, "What the hell?" And he winds up in the dude's bedroom. I thought that was the weirdest shit, but also hysterical. He winds up in the bedroom with this guy's like naked girlfriend there, and he just he doesn't leave. Like he just hangs out in there. But I have to say, there <laughs> so is a weird. great. There's a great. I'm glad you brought that sequence up. There's a great line in there when he's in mm-hmm. the guy's house. And he's looking at him, at the girl, naked, and he says, what, you've never seen one before? He yeah. says, not not quite built like that, or not not as finely made as that. There's a, uh-huh. That's a great line in there. And he adds a nice moment of, uh, like, levity to the situation to I kind know, of I'm, check in. And I just really liked his presence in the movie. It was weird how they kind of wove him out of it in some regard. Because he shows up uh, when John Stone's first showing up at the biker bar, and he's going to find his way his edge to get into the gang and stuff and that guy shows up as well and he's kind of like obviously fish out of water right doesn't belong there is is clearly not going to be able to uh, hang with the bikers because he's like a germaphobe guy and he's, i he's love all that. Weird he and all that but they kind of write him out of it after shit. that and he kind of goes away but i do love the you have to love the ending where they give him his uh his moment right he deserved that too and, yeah. and he actually that that's one of the, the joys of that ending I thought that's was, was such to give a, him that's such a trope of like action movies like this too. I mean, when when that moment went down, and I knew it was coming, I was like, "Oh shit, this guy is going to be the guy," and they did it, and I was like, "Yes!" <laughs> I don't know we, why it like, made me so happy. <laughs> it's almost like the end of Demolition Man too, where like the real clean guy all of a sudden now is with the like I exactly. think is it uh, In Rob some Schneider way. who's with the right. bat, or no, well, it's he's, Benjamin Bratt's character who's like now with the resistance, and they're mm-hmm. all muddied up, and you know. And, no longer this kind of prince, but prissy kind of guy. One of those things that, as you said earlier uh, at the top of the show, you said like, they, "Oh, they should make sequels to this." I was like, "Fuck yeah, they should!" And that they those guys should be the cat. Like they should do a buddy cop movie, like a real that one. Been, that would actually been real fun. Did you notice, by the way, that the guy, the henchman that is playing uh, the shoot the, the beer can off your head game with Williams Forsythe at the beginning, uh-huh. the henchman? Is the same guy that Arnold takes the clothes, boots, and motorcycles from in T2? Is it? It is. If you look at it, he must be a stuntman. I remember. It looks familiar, yeah. In Hmm. this movie, obviously, Craig R. Baxley, the director, is a former stuntman. Uh And he employed a lot of character or actors that I believe are stuntmen, which is why some of the action in this looks so good, including that fight scene with Bosworth and that guy. I believe they were taking some real bumps there. And Baxley is highly underrated. I mean, I think that he has... I'm not sure why this movie sank his career, to be honest here, because I think that he has a pretty solid trilogy of action movies when you look at Action Jackson, I Come in Peace, and Stone Cold. I think those are pretty good B-plus type movies, not really A movies, mm-hmm. but you know B-plus on that tier of being better than they should be. Would you agree with that, that he's a decent little director? I mean, I, I, I guess he did mostly TV, right? For so it's hard to tell. I mean, I love the A Team. Um, did a lot of TV movies, but and really, I don't know. I guess never broke out from that uh, so much. I don't know. He's got some new movie on here. This is pre-production. It's a Stephen King short story they're supposed to be making, but who knows? I, I think that his best days would be behind him. This was back in the days they didn't really give stunt directors uh, a chance mm-hmm. to direct now 
you have guys making John Wick and Deadpool that are well, famous stuntmen. And, yeah. I mean, Hal Needham was pretty much the only other guy. Right? Craig Baxley, Rowdy Harrington. Sniper 2 in 2002, you know, and Left Behind 3 in 2005. And everything else is pretty much... Uh, but nothing uh, else hit oh, theaters. Oh, well, Kingdom Hospital. That must be why he's got the Stephen King angle. But I believe the last thing that actually debuted in a theater was Stone Cold back in 91. I bet Left Behind had 3 some... was in theaters. Oh, God, I hope oh, not. Oh, I bet it was. Oh, <laughs> Left Behind 1 was bad enough. I only saw the Nicolas Cage remake. Oh, that, fair, one's, so. that one's actually worse than the other ones. Really? I thought that would be better. Oh, God. Oh, Christ. Uh, yeah, literally. No pun intended. Um, let's move on. You had some interesting news about an uncut version of this movie, or NC-17, you said? Yeah, on the Wikipedia page uh, for this, it does say that the, the original cut was NC-17, uh, and specifically this violence is the reason, but they cut it down to R. And there's no uh, there's no release of that ever. And I thought, God, you know, you get like a Shout Factory or someone needs to come in here and find that damn uncut version of this and release that for me. <laughs> it's strange that it never leaked either. I mean, I have an uncut or the work print copy of the NC-17 version of Hard Target. Mm-hmm. I have work print That's versions true. of Rocky Five. It's strange that this never made its way onto the internet was, if that truly exists. There was that those uh, those leaks that happened uh Every once in a while, from the in, in like the two thousands, late two thousands, yeah. and get a bunch of stuff. Um, it's also said that uh, uh, the the original director was fired, um, and they brought in uh, you know Baxley. But um, there were four weeks of filming where uh, Bosworth's character uh, had a family, a wife, child, and his sister. And in the end, that stuff was uh, scrapped. Apparently, when they brought in uh, Baxley. And they spent four million on production expenses, uh, I guess, for reshoots and stuff. Must have been, but that's insane. I wonder four weeks what is a long time. I wonder what that was, though. What would the wife, child, and sister aspect of this be? Because this character is really a uh, loner. Well, I don't know if he's a loner. He has that girl who is. He seems attached to her, but yeah, he's very uh, in the wind, you know, if you will, like coming and going. And this uh, is the Clint Yo Yimbo character. This is the man without a name strolling yeah. into town, getting the two gangs to so fight I wonder amongst how, each other. How would that wife, child, and sister? How would the family aspect have worked into this? I really want to see uh, this. I don't think it would be better, but I'm still very interested. I agree with you that I don't think that would make this movie better. I think 95 minutes, this thing moves like a bat out of hell. It's a very quick watch. And I think that that would be extremely out of place in this movie. And I mean, unless he's doing some Donnie Brasco type shit where he's calling home and there's some sort of drama on there and then they have somebody hostage, you know, for the climax. But that just seems to overly complicate this because this is like, but then again, this is a very cut and paste movie. And it looks like uh, there was some tinkering. You said there was 4 million uh, this movie was made for these, these reshoots. Now I have a interesting story that I heard years ago from Jean-Claude Van Damme, not personally, but on an interview, obviously. And he said that one of the producers of Stone Cold was also the producer of Double Impact. Hmm. And at one point came and tried to take money from this production to cover costs on Stone Cold. And he lost his shit and they barred the guy from set and he went to Columbia and they took care of it. But I believe it's the same producer, Yoram Ben-Ami, and he mm-hmm. was trying to to cover his ass on one from the other, and in the end, and it kind of makes sense because they would have both been in production at the same time as Double Impact came out about four months after Stone Cold. Same company, production company, same producers, all hmm. that kind of stuff. 
And, uh, you know, obviously Double Impact was the huger success, made $44 million at the right. box office, uh, whereas this did not. It's interesting that Michael Douglas is producer of, of Stone Cold. A quiet producer on yeah, this. Yeah, it's interesting as well. That must have just been like, a money deal, though. Yeah, his name was, yeah. he was never going to star in this property or anything like that. No. And you wonder how this movie ever even got, it seems like a deal. It's, it seems like this movie is a, like a, a high concept deal. You know what I mean? We got John Stone, and we're going to introduce Brian Bosworth. He's well, a biker was, gang guy. And- it, it, it is 91, you know, so it's not too far off to think that, you know, people were still making action movies like Roger Corman movies, right? Just coming up with, with these stupid ideas and then casting, you know, and, create, and creating real basic uh, action movies. So, I, yeah, I, believe I this agree. this is the same year as The Taking of Beverly Hills with Ken Wall. Remember go. that piece of mm-hmm. shit movie? I mean, there's a lot of movies that were trying to push the next guy during this period. You had The Perfect Weapon with Jeff Speakman, which you and I And a lot, I of, these, like. a lot of those movies, I mean, Speakman as well, a lot of these guys and these movies uh, were really, you, have to, you kind of have to think were, were made to play on home video. Yeah, because they knew where their, their bread and butter was going to be, where their ma- major return was going to be. It was not going to be on a three. The theatrical release was almost an advertisement for the upcoming video release in a lot of ways. Yeah. It was to say made over five million at the box That's office. That's where I'm, all those all these canon movies and shit. You know, you, yeah. you find all that stuff here. A lot of these action movies all were. Uh, yeah, you, I, I mean, I can't re- remember uh, aside from you know big big releases. Um, a lot of the of the movies like this uh, ever being released in theaters, even though a lot of them were. Oh yeah, they all. I mean, they all had a theatrical release. You look at some of the movies. You even the Taking of Beverly Hills had a theatrical yeah. release. But I, I never, are, I, I don't know if they just didn't play maybe around me. I just never remember seeing a, uh, you know, something that you would expect to see on VHS ever playing on a the theater, even during the time in the nineties in which that took place a lot. <laughs> which is strange. I had uh, a bunch of theaters in my area. I was a little bit more of a metropolitan area than you. And uh-huh. there was different, th- there was definitely, I, there's one area that had two movie theaters across the street from each other. No shit. But one would play, it was a dome theater, and it would play all the canon movies, all, I saw American Ninja 4 there, I saw like, like oh. all the shit movies that you could imagine, I, I mean, I saw See, so I many don't even bad think movies any of there over the years. American Ninjas, none of that stuff, I don't think played around here at all. I mean, we saw like the Phantom of the Opera with Robert England there, you know, that mm-hmm. like that kind of bad level of shit, like this, whatever came out, they would catch, and then the one across the street was the, would play the, the kind of the A-list movies, if you will. And these were almost second run or things that would only debut one like 700 screens and they would mm. fucking have American Ninja Steel Warrior. I saw there like that for sure came out there. Yeah, that'd be I'd love to see. I've seen that. I, right. I it, well, you wouldn't have we really, at the time. We thought it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have loved it at the time, really. Um, yeah, we had a drive in and that's pretty much what we had. So it, it, they really played bigger budget movies. Yeah, that could be a little bit more selective with doing that. Um, but yeah, I definitely saw the or didn't see this in the theater. But remember this coming out and seeing trailers for it, but didn't catch up to it until uh, HBO. Uh, I you know the sequence in this movie that I really I, I'm watching the grocery store sequence and I'm like as it starts I'm like all right I don't know how I feel about this. This is a little little mm-hmm. too much. And then he's there in his workout clothes and they're coming to blackmail. But you know what I really <laughs> turn for for the liking on this movie mm-hmm. is when they the FBI picks him up and they take him to a parking garage. 
He gets out of the passenger seat of one car, gets into the passenger seat of a car parked right next to it, and has this clandestine meeting with somebody, and is given the layout of the movie. And I was like, fuck yes. This is exactly how a movie should go. <laughs> you get out of one car, you go sit in another car, like, this is the file. They don't show anybody a file anymore. It's like a computer thing. It's like an iPad with a fucking image on it. Now it's like, here, take yeah. these papers with you. And these are your, you know, like these papers that can be found by anybody. And, uh... I don't know. And the mafia aspect of this movie, too. It seems to me that most action movies during this time had, like, a mafia element to it. I don't know if it was because of the success of The Godfather 3 or Goodfellas or what the fuck that was. Well, but there's a lot of biker like, stuff, too. But, I mean, like, Rapid Fire had it. Out for mm-hmm. Justice had it. This has, like, yeah. there's a what, lot of mafia I mean, stuff. You're talking about mafia. There was, yeah, yeah Yakuza, right? Yes. Mafia, yes. bikers. Yeah, there was a lot of gang-type uh, thing going on in the 90s. But that was... I guess just a big part of representative, the 90s, I guess. Really. Yeah. I mean, it even leaked its way into Lethal Weapon 3 when they basically talk about gun violence and, and inner city kids getting their hands on guns. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it, it did, it was, I guess, a big thing. But, you know, the standby for any any villain, if you just want to make them bad, well, they're just selling drugs. Oh, you know? of course. Uh, they're, they're running a big drug empire. And that's the most generic thing you can throw at him. And, and in this movie, it works because I think it's what DEA he's going undercover for or FBI or FBI. I mean, what yeah. is he? What is the rap he's got on them that, that they murdered, that they're plotting the. Well, they murdered. Uh, well, I don't they know. Murder the, the priest, they have the guy and then they that murder murdered a the judge. Priest, right? They have him already. Yeah. And then they murdered the judge. And that's when Who that's when him. stuff got a little crazy. And then the, they had the, the governor. I think it was the is the governor right? Who's going after them now? He's now he's done with them, uh, you know, and he's going after. And they're going to take course, him out. Yeah, they're called the Brotherhood, which is the most generic. Fucking, like, <laughs> the Brotherhood, the Brotherhood of what? Well, that's the what I'm saying. They, that that to me, once again, okay. they wouldn't talk about the Aryan overtones of the whole thing. So it's like, oh, yeah. we're just the Brotherhood. Well, what the are you guys fucking brother. watching football gangs and hanging out? Like, what do you? I don't understand what's going on the over here. Brotherhood. I don't know. Yeah. And there's always this super hot chick, right, in these movies who's hanging out with these pieces of shit. And <laughs> she's thrown around like a rag doll. And in real life, that girl would not be hot. That girl would be some sort of meth head missing six teeth that- and riddled with all sorts of STDs. But in this movie, she's fucking pristine and just really a, a, a hooker with a heart of gold, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It is crazy. Uh, um. I guess that's a twist too, because when she finds out about him, then he shows up, and you're like, "Oh shit!" And then like she maybe maybe she told, but then there was that one. It was the other guy that he had to go get that that he didn't actually kill. But he was supposed to kill, but you know the FBI right. took him and they released him, and now he fucking came back, and they fucking kill that guy anyways. <laughs> I don't see where the gore in this movie could kills, have warranted. She dies, right? Does she not? Yeah, no, she does. But yeah, that I thought they, was pretty was a, was a nice. Uh, a different thing to have. Well, you had to kill I don't her know if I want to say a nice touch, but you know that might have been <laughs> horrible, an, an, something that was left over from the storyline where if there was a wife involved, where they couldn't be together. You know that may have been a, a remnant if that storyline came through. It could have been, but I mean, you have to admit, like that's definitely uh, it's, it's ballsier it's, than I thought they would be. 
Yeah, it is. But but then the guy goes full like Dr. Evil right on him and is like, oh, well, now now we're like you're going to be the bomb and we're going to drop you. Right? <laughs> we're going to like put you in the bomb, and like drop you off the helicopter and shit, do all that stuff, which which just makes for a wild, insane ending to this uh, movie. Um, what I thought was just a fun balls to the wall, like action uh, yes. sequence, you know, the including a helicopter minutes. and like oh, just uh, people running around. Lance Henderson dressed as a priest, like. These guys snuck into the courtroom and shit. It's just crazy. crazy. It's so much fun when he for to see him dressed up as a priest is kind of this fun bad thing. It, it's almost like when Nicolas Cage is dressed up as a priest at the beginning of Face Off. You just you know it's mischievous and not supposed to be. But how do you like it that the movie's about bikers and they have literally a motorcycle come flying off this fucking what is it, the house of <laughs> not the White House? It's like some courthouse. It's a courthouse, or, or, yeah. And they come the, the motorcycle takes out a fucking helicopter. I mean. I, that's years before the. Well, how would you like? To, how would you like to be the guy that's it's on, it's on trial and he's about to go to jail and these these fucking douchebags come to break you out? It's like the worst fucking plan in the world. You, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, you got, yeah. like this is terrible. Like, I'm gonna get killed now. This is, this is I'm not like we're not getting the fuck out of here. This is, this is horrible. Where'd you guys get your fucking plan from? <laughs> Scooby Doo episodes. Yeah. Get out of here. It's like, yeah, I get you. I get you. This movie though is emblematic the ending of how much fun the movie is and I hate to say that because I don't see where the gore would have been in this movie to warrant an NC-17 rating there was a lot of blood uh, I guess towards the end and um, so I imagine that you could have there could be spots with gore in it um, including along the way right these these bikers are pretty crazy you mentioned the shooting cans off people and stuff like that. I thought yeah. that was kind of, I was like, holy shit. Like I wouldn't fuck like, first of all, the, the, whenever I see shit like that in the movie, the first thing I think is like, who the fuck would be part of the brotherhood? <laughs> like, like this is a fucking, this is a fun time for you. Like I'm not fucking, you're not shooting like a can off my head and shit. No. Like, I think I think about that in those movies where they show like a henchman beating the shit out of like one of his subordinates and I always think yeah, I mean you got health benefits is the pay plan yeah. really that good to get your ass kicked by your boss every day or is this like a literal thing or metaphorical for how we live I really don't know but I always think about that when they show like a bad guy killing you know or, or practicing on one of his underlies yeah just, in front of everybody else and everyone's just yeah, like, well, like oh well you know i guess that was, well, was his time you know well it's like no it could be anyone's fucking <laughs> yeah. that could be me tomorrow so why, why the fuck am i in this gang get out of here uh but the movie is a lot of fun i recommend it highly to anyone i hadn't seen this in years and the last time i did see it was off that vhs copy that i had so i think i maybe watched it about 10 years ago just kind of out of nostalgia yeah, we, and it didn't really hit but this time it really clicked for me yeah i i you know i've always said and i'll keep saying um new brand new transfers of movies from the 90s like this especially these these action movies which are shot um and this movie's actually has really decent cinematography pretty good lighting through a lot of it um yeah but these i don't know how to explain it other than to say they're shot slightly flatter um than movies you'd see nowadays uh, mainly probably because they're cheaper, right? Um, yeah. But it just comes off as so cr- much crisper, like in the in the high def. We saw a high def transfer of this just to give you guys a backstory here. It's actually available on YouTube right now. If you go to YouTube and just type in Stone Cold, you can find the 1080 transfer where they claim it's a 1080. It does look very good. Uh, and I watched this on my iPad, and it was stunning. I mean, it almost looked 
too good initially yeah. in that first scene. I thought like, whoa, this is not how I remember this movie at all. And then I didn't realize how nicely lit some of these scenes were in the apartment, in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of basic daylight exposure sequences too that look very easy to shoot. But uh, it, it is done by the Polish cinematographer Alexander Grzynski. I'm not even trying to say yeah, this Grzynski? last name. But Grzynski? Yeah, he's a, there's a lot of syllables, vowels, and consonants in there. And I'd like to buy neither. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> but regardless, this movie is is really fun, and this transfer is good to look at. If you're on YouTube, check it out because it's it's worth going back and looking at. It, it, if you like Roadhouse, and I think Roadhouse kind of has taken on the, oh, look how it's cool to be a fan of Roadhouse. Fuck you. I was a fan of Roadhouse in 1989 <laughs> when it really wasn't cool to be a fan of Roadhouse. It's not like people were stoked about that movie when it came. In fact, I have the soundtrack still. And it's on YouTube once again. And Jeff Healy Band is on there, which is great. But Patrick Swayze actually sings a song on the Roadhouse soundtrack. Did yeah, you know this? Does. Yeah, I think it's called "Bringing a Little, Raising a Little Bit of Hell in Heaven Tonight." And if you listen to it, you wouldn't think it's Patrick Swayze. Not that it's a good song; it just doesn't sound like Patrick Swayze. And uh, that's my little bit of trivia for the evening, I guess. <laughs> Name the movie oh, where... Thanks. Because you wouldn't think he'd be on the soundtrack to Roadhouse. Maybe Ghost or Dirty Dancing, but not fucking I Roadhouse think he is, of all things. does sing something on uh, Dirty Dancing, doesn't he? Does he? He doesn't surprise me. I mean, what uh, a, There is something else but, other than Roadhouse he sings on. It wouldn't be the Point Break soundtrack, I don't think. I had that soundtrack <laughs> growing up. But this movie kind of has a Point Break vibe to it, too, right? Did you see that? Like, the going undercover and the gang and getting mesmerized by the guy. and having you, the like, Fast and Furious next? I mean, well, I mean, going I mean, here? <laughs> is it not Fast and Furious in a sense? I mean, Foresight is... That's is, why I fucking love, like, the first couple Fast and Furious movies. I mean, the second one sucks, but... Uh, yeah, that's why the Fast and Furious movie is so good, right? That first, first one, one because about. it's... Uh, it's such a basic fucking movie. It's just, uh, it's just simple, you know. And and it's enough uh, for me, anyways. It's enough for a man to be a man. Uh, he doesn't have to be invincible, you know, in some way. But he can walk in with a swagger. And it, in this movie, uh, again, like this, the guy is not invincible. He looks like a god, you know, fucking Adonis in here walking in. You're like, holy shit. You know, he could have any man, you know, man or woman or fucking dog in the in the goddamn biker gang. Um, but he's uh, like Lance Henriksen, who's a much smaller guy, uh, clearly has the the edge on him in a lot of this movie. Yeah, which is nice that normally when they have a hulking personality as a hero, it's hard to find the equal. They did a good job in some Schwarzenegger movies. Uh, they... Typically, though, it's kind of an underwhelming guy. And I think of movies like The Scorpion King, mm-hmm. where The Rock just overtakes the villain in that movie. He just, there's no possible way he could be an imposing <laughs> figure in, yeah. you know, in like a conflicting way. But in this, you're right. Henderson does feel like there's something about him that it would be menacing enough to give Bosworth's well, he's crazy enough. And, and, and the, the John Stone character has to put himself in situations that are very dangerous where he's basically unarmed and shit and he's just there trying to prove his his worth to uh to Henriksen and then the gang and stuff and try to keep in their uh good uh, I don't know you, you know what I mean graces. yes yeah, exactly yeah. like try, try to keep up appearances in that way and that just opens him up to that to some some vulnerability there where uh Henriksen could just kill him just because he's crazy enough Universal Pictures lately has been doing a lot of catalog retitling, if you will. There's a, a 
Doom sequel. There's a Jarhead sequel that's just out. There's um, a sequel coming to There's Sudden another Death Jarhead. and Undercover Brother. Yeah, that just got released. They're doing wow. all these. Inside Man just got a directed DVD sequel, if you believe it. So they're getting ready to do all these sequels and, and kind of going back in their catalog and, and just finding things that they've already made sequels of. I mean, there there are Most sequels of shit, yeah. already of a lot of that stuff. Well, Doom just got one that they just released this week that's supposed to be better than the one with The Rock, which wouldn't be hard to do. Uh, but uh, yeah. wouldn't it be great if they went back? And I know this isn't Universal, but it's Columbia. But if somebody went back and did like a Stone Cold 2. You know, like how they did Roadhouse 2 last call. I got to believe a Stone Cold <laughs> 2 would be better than Roadhouse Stone 2. Colder. More stoned, even (laughs) more stoned. (laughs) More stoned and more colder. It's like a cop who's going to go undercover, then get stoned, and is like, ah, fuck it, I ain't doing this no more. Exactly. Uh, I'm a little upset that Bosworth didn't have the big screen career that was once promised. You know, in the 90s, you thought a lot of these guys were going to pop, and most of them didn't go anywhere, including. Fellas like Mark Dacascus, you know, we talked about Speakman. Dacascus is fucking good, though. Yeah, Speakman's good, too. I liked all those guys. I don't know so much about Bosworth, because he really didn't have the the acting ability, I guess I would say. Not that the other ones necessarily did, but I don't know. He he seems he was less. But he wasn't stiff. He's not a stiff stiff. on screen. No, no, no. But he just doesn't feel, he feels like a one-trick pony. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I think he got some shots on the B-movie circuit. I've seen a couple of them over the years. Um, One Man's Justice isn't bad. I believe that's written by Kurt Wimmer, who did uh, Equilibrium and a couple other movies that were actual uh, big-budget movies. So that one's not a bad one. He did one I call Virus that wasn't very good back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got a couple other ones. But uh, for the most part, this was his his big chance. And... um, yeah, I think got me thinking about Dukaskis, who just was in John Wick three, and it's funny that he is is still popping up and stuff here and there. And uh, do you know that the he was going to be pushed so by good, Fox? Hmm? Uh, Fox Pictures was going to push him after the death of Brandon Lee. Mm-hmm. They had because they were going to do Rapid Fire two and whatnot. He was signed on to do that, and after only the strong underperformed, and then Double Dragon underperformed, they dropped yeah, him from the contract. But he was going to be pushed as the next like Brandon Lee because of the the tragedy on the Crow. Speaking of The Crow, when's the last time you saw The Crow? I would love to watch The Crow again. Uh, I don't know. Not that long ago. It's uh, Does it hold up? Is it like Stone Cold? Is it holding up after all these years? It's too weird. you know. It doesn't have a plot that makes any sense, I guess, is the way I would put it. Like He, he wanders around an awful lot in that movie with uh, nothing to do. I, you know? It kind of feels like... That was kind of cool when go, I was a kid, though. Go kill, oh, yeah. I mean, I agree. But it just feels very clunky now. I guess is the word I would describe it. Still got a great soundtrack. I still listen to yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it looks good too. Uh, it's well, shot Troyes really well. Movies yeah, and always look good. Yeah, so it definitely yeah, still has it. has that going for it. But I don't know. It's not like it, like this movie is you know a, a straight arrow, right? Just right, beginning to end. You know exactly where you fucking are. You know you pretty much know exactly what's going to happen next, and all that. Um, the crow is is a little little wandering. I could walk. I could start Stone Cold at any moment, and within a five minute plus or minus <laughs> differential, tell you where we are yeah. timeline in the movie based on what the plot's going on. Um, but that also adds to the kind of charm of the movie, if you will. 
Well, that's going to wrap up our episode tonight on Stone Cold and the Retrospective Podcast. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this look back to the 1991 action film. As always, you can find our back catalog at MovieMavericks.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever else you may be getting your podcasts from. Remember to rate, review, and like the show, and join us soon for a podcast about new movies, trivia, and our general thoughts on the movie business. Speaking for Trevor Anderson, I am Jason Rugard, and we are Movie Mavericks. Oh my, another magnificent episode has come to an end. If you're craving more, set your destination to moviemavericks.com, warp 9. Engage! <laughs>